All right, we're continuing in the book of Jonah today. Uh, going to backtrack slightly one verse to the end of chapter 1 and then take us all the way through chapter 2. Don't, don't despair. Chapter 2 is short, uh, and I've just got just a few things I want to try and pull out of that for you. But if you want to turn in your Bibles today, you can go ahead and go to Jonah chapter 1, verse 17. <clears throat> And I'll recap the story just briefly. What we find is we find this guy named Jonah, who God has commanded to go and do a certain thing. Jonah doesn't want to do that. And so the story tells us that he made preparations and then took action in his mind to go as far away from the presence of God as he could go. Um, now, in this story, that's a place called Tarshish. Um, in Alaska, that place might be called Texas. <laughs> Those who are new to Alaska maybe don't understand that uh, there's a there's a hate-hate relationship with Texas. Uh, but uh, Sheila's going there in just a couple of weeks. Going to make her life in Texas. We're sorry. Uh, um, it's been nice knowing you, and never want to hear from you again, Texas. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> For those who don't know, that's my wife, and that's her sister who's going to Texas, so uh, it's all in good fun. We're certainly going to miss her when she goes uh, with her husband, Jeff. But, uh, but, you know, any place that you can imagine, I, I think about my mom, uh, she was born and raised in Winchester, Virginia, uh, grew up there until she got married to my dad, and then uh, a few years after they got married, he joined the Air Force, and then that moved them all over the world. But they landed here in Alaska, which is how I got here, how my siblings uh, got here, and, uh, you know, I've, I've stayed here since 1972, but I, I realized later in life that my mom... If you asked her, she would say Alaska was home. Um, in fact, there just came a point where she really didn't want to go back and visit on the East Coast at all. Uh, she finally acquiesced to go when uh, one of my brothers ended up living in Virginia for his work, and she would go back and visit the grandkids. But I, I thought that it was kind of a good picture of my mom had arrived at this place where she wanted to get as far away from Virginia as she could possibly go and still stay in the United States. And so she went to Anchorage, Alaska. But wherever you might think, you might imagine that for you, the farthest place away from the presence of God is, that's where Jonah, in his mind, had decided he was going to go. And then, of course, we learn in the course of the story that there is no place that's beyond the reach of the presence of God. And even in this place that Jonah runs, he doesn't escape God's presence. He doesn't escape God's interaction in his life. And he doesn't escape the wills and the, and the plan that God has appointed to him. God is still trying to get him to engage in that and to be obedient. And it, we don't see it here as a, as a place of wrath or anger from God. He's not punishing Jonah. He's correcting Jonah in the events that take place. So what happens, he goes to this, he's on the boat trying to go as far away from the presence of God as he can. This great storm swoops in that the Bible says that God sent, this trial. 
The solution is finally to keep the boat from sinking and killing everybody aboard is for the guys to throw Jonah over into the water, into the ocean. They throw him into the ocean. The sea is calmed, and a great fish swallows him. And that's where we find him, is in the belly of this fish for three days and three nights. Um, and I know I see some new faces here this morning. We, we've talked about this the last couple of weeks, but I just want to reiterate uh, a lot of people think that this is an allegorical story, but both Jesus and other uh, writers in the books that we find in the Bible refer to Jonah as a historical character. They restore to this as a historical story, not just a, a metaphor for something. Now, we're going to apply it as a metaphor to our lives in the way that God is trying to interact with us and get us to do what we're doing, but we see this as a historical story uh, told to us in the Bible, and it's fantastical, but it's God, and God can do the fantastical. So... That's where we are in verse 17 of verse 1. We're at this place where it says, The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And so that's, that's my first point for you this morning, is that the Lord appoints correction to his children. The Lord designs and directs and chooses correction towards those who have named themselves as his followers because just like we would with our children or you would with children that you have the, the opportunity to influence in your life as uh, aunts and uncles, grandparents, friends, you provide correction and discipline, redirection for the purpose of 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 the goodness of their life. You want to direct them away from things that, that hurt them or things that aren't profitable or things that are poor choices and you want to direct them towards things that are good and positive and obedient to God. And this is what God is doing with his children. God still does this with us today. When we are being disobedient, when we're going in the opposite direction of where God wants us to go, we can expect that because God loves us as his children, that he will provide some sense, some way, some mechanism of correction to move us back to where he wants us to be. But we still have to play a role in that. We can continue to choose to be disobedient. We can continue to choose to go in the opposite direction. In fact, I wonder when I read stories like this and others, uh, this story and other stories like it where God has, has tried to intervene in those who are going in the opposite direction or the wrong direction and then they make it right. Uh, uh, we talked about this last week. What if Jonah had just stayed on the boat? You know, he'd, he'd, he'd dug his heels in, grind his teeth and say, I'm not getting off this boat. It would appear that everybody on the boat would have died. What if Jonah hadn't done what he does next and called out to God from the belly of the fish? You see, we see these stories and, and we get to that, that wonder of 2020 hindsight vision of seeing how it turned out. But sometimes I like to entertain those other questions because it's instructional for our lives. Because listen, if you're in a place right now where you know that God is speaking to you about a circumstance or a decision, uh, uh, something you're involved in, a sin that you're mired in and you're trying to figure out how to get out of it, if you stay in it, it will only get worse. But if you hear the correction of God and alter your course which is to repent, to go the other direction, to change the way you think about whatever that is, then you have the opportunity for God 
to, to bring rescue and to bring salvation. And so that first point is the Lord appoints correction of his children. And then Jonah spent three days and three nights in the belly of this fish, but the change happened. It wasn't four days and four nights or ten days and ten nights or whatever. It was changed because of Jonah's confession, which is what comes next at the beginning of chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 1 says this, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying... And then we have several verses here where we we see what Jonah says to God. And I want to point out some important qualities of this so that we might understand how we might pray when we find ourselves in a sticky situation and we know that we need God's intervention because we're in a place where we shouldn't be and where we don't want to be. We can see some examples here of how that might work. So... How did Jonah pray? The first thing is that he prayed from his distress. He prayed from his distress. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, and can you imagine how stressful, how difficult it must have been to be in the belly of the fish? It wasn't like he was lounging back, please God, with air conditioning, right? Um, There wasn't a snack bar. All-night buffet. I mean, this is a cruise, but it's not that kind of cruise. So I would imagine that being swept down the gullet of a giant ship, in, in, or a fish, into the belly and hanging out there for three days and three nights would be distressing. And this is the place in which Jonah calls from. And I know that sometimes, uh, and I've been, uh, I don't know if I'm guilty of this, it's a, good, it's a good admonition. We should not always pray to God when, only when, like we shouldn't only pray to God when things are bad, right? And sometimes we're, we're, in that, we're in that crisis management relationship with God where the only time we acknowledge Him is when uh, things have gone off the rails and we realize that we're really in trouble and, and so we cry out. That's not a healthy relationship with God. He wants something more persistent with us. Uh, The Apostle Paul describes it as be in constant prayer. That's being in constant communication and relationship with God, not simply trying to use him as a, a, a parachute or a life preserver when things have gone wrong. That being said, if you find yourself in distress, by all means, call out to God. Because in most of our circumstances, there is no other place in which we're going to find salvation. There's no other one in whom we're going to find rescue. And so, while we want to say, don't use God as your escape hatch, when you find yourself in trouble, certainly your father is someone that you should call out to. And Jonah does. And and listen... He messed it up, right? He went in the wrong direction. He was disobedient. He denied what God wanted for him to do. Then he found himself in this terrible spot. And in humanistic terms, sometimes we might go, that's your own fault. Deal with it, buddy. But that's not who God is. He wants us to call out and to seek him for rescue. It says that uh, he called out from the belly of Sheol in in, uh, verse 2 there. He says, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. 
Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. Another uh, way to phrase Sheol is uh, the world of the dead. And yet even from that place, the Lord heard him. There's great comfort in that to me, that even in the darkest of places, God can still hear me when I cry out. I might feel like I'm so far removed or I'm, I'm in such a place that, that there's no way that God could ever, ever notice me. And yet we see in this example, Jonah's in maybe the darkest, most dangerous place ever. And God hears him from that place, from his distress. If we read all the way through verses 3 through 6, we're not going to hit every one of them, but a few of them. Um, it's clear that Jonah thought he was going to die. Jonah was, you look through this prayer, Jonah never once indicates that he thinks God's going to save him. He thinks he's going to die, but then I said earlier that his salvation came from his confession. His confession was not so much about his failure, because look, you and God both know what your failures are. There's really no need to spell them out. You're both on the same page about that. Jonah's confession was more about who God is and what God is capable of. That's his confession. His confession is his confession of faith, his confession of trust in the one that he's called out for salvation. So in verse 4, he realizes his problem, but he trusts in God. He says, I'm driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. He believes that there's a way out. Now, in his mind right now, that way out is he's going to die and be fully in the presence of God. He doesn't see an earthly way out of this. So he's, he's communicating his ultimate trust in God to save him for eternity, not just from this circumstance. And then in verse 5, we, he gives us this incredible description about the waters closing around him, and that he sinks all the way down to the roots of the mountains, I forget how deep the, the Marianas Trench is out in the Atlantic Ocean. It's the deepest place on the planet. It's a long ways down. But can you imagine out here uh, in the ocean that surrounds Alaska, or maybe you've been someplace like uh, Hawaii where the, the volcanic islands have been formed and, and there are mountains now sticking up out of the ocean, to, to go down there in that water and go down to where the writer here, Jonah, says the roots of the mountains from where they very sprang up from the oceans. I, I, I went that far down. That's how dire my circumstances were. And then in verse 6 he says, at the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever, and yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. Jonah tells us in this verse that this circumstance he's found himself in, there's absolutely nothing he can do for himself. He can't solve this problem. He cries out from his distress. The Lord hears him. And only the Lord can do whatever work it is that's going to solve the problem that Jonah has. You can apply that to your own life, whatever circumstance you might find yourself in, where you know you've gone a direction, you've gone a way that God does not want you to go. And you need to get out. 
you can cry out to the Lord, but your expectation is that he's going to do the work because it's nothing that you can do. It's nothing I can do. It has to be his work. Verses 7 and 8, he expresses his thanksgiving. On into verse 9, this is his actual prayer. He's, he's, he's laid out everything about how he's, he's fallen, he's down in the depths, he's going to die, he thinks he's going to see God in heaven at the holy temple, this is what's going to happen, and I accept that. All of these things are happening, and then he says, I will, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. The most powerful part of Jonah's prayer in the midst of this struggle is his thanksgiving to God. And I think this is an important point. Because it can be easy sometimes when we're in a mess that we made to blame God for it. And yet, really, God continues to give us the breath of our lives every day. Uh, even sometimes there's this old song, uh, Amy Grant, Angels Watching Over Me, and it had these little scenarios about how she's walking down the street, and, you know, God saved her from a car that was going to crash over her, but she didn't even know it, unaware of the work that God is doing around us. And so sometimes when we find ourselves in those places where we've tried to, to, to run from God, we've been disobedient to God, and we're, we're in that place where we feel separated, his presence is still with us. And as bad as it is, it's likely that God is actually providing protection and guidance and guarding us in ways that we don't understand even. And the appropriate response to a God who loves us that much is not to blame him for our troubles, but to thank him for his goodness. I'm not saying that's easy. Sometimes in the midst of trial, it's hard to be thankful. But God deserves our thanksgiving. Some things that we notice about Jonah through all of this He doesn't beg God to solve his problem. He doesn't blame God for his problem. And he doesn't betray his faith in God, even when things are difficult. He remains faithful. He remembers who God is. And he thanks God for who he is. I don't think that's a bad model for us to, to follow and to look at. So the Lord appointed correction. Jonah cried out in his distress. He called out to the Lord. And then what's the last thing that happens? It says here, the final verse, verse 10, it's not pretty. And the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited out Jonah on the dry land. Listen, I don't know how God's going to get you out of your trouble, but it may not be pretty. <laughs> it might be a little stinky. It might be a little messy. But he offers salvation. He offers a way out. He offers his presence back with you in a way that's tangible and full. What do we have to do? We have to recognize the, the appointment of God's correction to us. 
and in the midst of wherever we find ourselves, that, that we've placed ourselves, we've chosen to be disobedient to God, we've tried to run in the other direction, we're avoiding his presence when we find ourselves in that place, when he appoints correction, we need to cry out to him. And then we need to trust him. We need to trust him to appoint, to direct, to give, to speak whatever his solution is for us and trust him for it. I've seen that sometimes uh, in folks' lives. They get to this place, they pray, they ask God to solve a problem and God solves it and then they're not happy with the way he solves it. And I'd be cautious of that because, you know, you got to ask, would you rather have the problem? Would, would you rather be still in the belly of the fish? Or are you glad to be out, even if it didn't look exactly the way that you thought it might? It didn't come out the way that you wanted. So I leave you with this kind of challenge. Where are you in your life? your relationship with Christ. It doesn't have to be like you're, you're full-on getting on a boat trying to, to head out into the ocean to escape the presence of God. It could be small things. Areas where God is working in your life and you know that he's leading you to do or be or think in a different way and you're resisting him. Take the opportunity this morning to allow him to, to speak to you and then you provide your part of that equation, which is to be obedient. And if in in being rebellious you've created a bit of a mess, ask him to intervene and then trust him for the answer and the way in which he wants to to intervene and to solve that and continue to be obedient. Uh, We have a saying that we love here that we got from Dallas Willard, grace, which is unmerited favor. You You don't do anything to earn it. God gives us his grace, but grace is not opposed to our effort. Our life with Christ is not just laying back and saying, okay, Lord, do all the work. Scripture never teaches that. We are to engage in life with Christ. And there's work for us to do. And so when he intervenes in your circumstances, trying to solve those problems that we find and those places that we sometimes put ourselves in, our call is to be obedient. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come back. Uh, lead us in one more song this morning, and as, they, as we worship together, as we sing, that's what I want you to consider, is your life. Where is God working? Where is God moving? And you're not allowing him to, or you haven't allowed him to, and now you're in a problem. You know that you're kind of in the belly of a fish, and you need help. Offer that to him this morning in prayer. Allow him to move in you, and to work in you, and to speak to you. And then uh, all of us, let's Let's try to be obedient to what God wants for us. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for this uh, incredible story. And Lord, even how after all of these centuries of time, a different culture, a different place, a completely different headspace that our world is in, somehow still your word can speak to us, speak to our circumstances. And... uh, Lord, uh, speak into our lives today in this moment, just as we, we contemplate and we think. Let us allow you to search out the areas of our lives where you're still trying to work and we're not particularly being cooperative with you.
Lord, know that we love you. Thank you for every good thing. In Jesus' name, amen.